1: Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode seven of the Pitched Contact podcast, part of the Twins Talk Network. I'm your host, Ben Jones from Twinkie Town, and I'm joined by my co host, as always, John Kuh. John, what were you doing in the year 2001?
0: 2001. Uh, I was in first grade. I was starting to learn about what sports were, but I sure as hell did not care about any specific team.
1: Yeah, uh, I'm right there with you. I was all of four years old, so I don't even think I knew the concept of Twins, let alone the Minnesota Twins. But of course, 2001 is the last time the Twins beat the Yankees in the regular season series. Um, And I think a lot of Twins fans, you know, maybe older than us have some more fond memories, but it's been a long, long time. And so it's good uh, to see some small victories on the way to hopefully some bigger ones as we go throughout the season.
0: Right. Uh, it's always nice to make history. Uh, sometimes history is a little dubious, uh, but uh, now we've got this monkey in our back. I think it's time to get that uh playoff uh, playoff losing streak offer back too. Right?
1: Yeah, definitely. I I think it's always nice to beat the Yankees, however you can, whether it's in a season series or whether it's trading them Aaron Hicks and Josh Donaldson so <laughs> that they can be the most hated Yankees. Whatever yep. it takes, I always want to beat the Yankees. So so it's completely. Good. All right, just a few reminders for you guys. You can follow our podcast on Twitter, at Twins Talk Pod. Uh, Make sure that you subscribe to Twins Talk on your podcast platform of choice, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts. I'm sure there's more, and we're definitely there. So make sure you like, subscribe, leave a five-star review if you feel so inclined. Uh, Today for our show, we'll be going over this last week of Twins Baseball, a series win against the Yankees and a series win against the Royals. Uh, so a quick snapshot of the week before we get into it. Overall, we were 5-2, and two, won both series, like I said before. And we're 17-12 and 12 on the season. First in the AL Central, still the only AL Central team with a winning record. And it's looking even more like a two-team race than it did before with the White Sox absolutely cratering, being one of the worst teams in baseball. Uh, and while you know you don't necessarily want to wish harm on anybody, I do love to see the White Sox do poorly.
0: Yeah, apparently that team just doesn't care. Uh, Luis Robert Jr. like apparently had some like really bad body language today in, in the game, so um, it's unfortunate for them. But you know, I guess it's just going to be us and the Guardians from here on out. But yeah. I guess you can't really count out anyone just yet. It is only uh, only April.
1: It is only April, but with the White Sox, I mean, they've they've had some absolute collapses. They had a nice come from behind win today, but. They did. Uh, yesterday, Lance Lynn took a no-hitter into the seventh inning, and then they ended up losing by nine. So yeah, yeah. That, that's not ideal. <laughs> but enough White Sox talk today. Let's get into the Twins. Let's go through game by game what we saw, what we liked, what we didn't. John, let's kick it off with the Yankees.
0: Yeah, game one. Uh, this was the second series of the three-series home stand that the Twins had. Uh, it was a 6-1 victory. Uh, Sonny Gray uh, was his usual stellar self. Seven innings, three hits, two walks, and eight strikeouts. Uh, he's easily the best starter in the rotation uh, right now. He's got uh, five wins, I believe, actually. Um, 0. .77 ERA, 1.06 whip. Uh, he's just incredibly solid, regardless of the competition that he's facing, uh, whether it's you know the Yankees in this case uh, or the Royals like he did today. Um, yeah, he's just looking real good. Uh if you take out that weird five inning game that he had where he was sick, he threw up before the game, Kyle Farmer got hit in the face, who's one of his good friends. Um he has a six innings per start average. Um and that's exactly what everyone wants from Gray. Like he had some you know big headlines earlier in, in spring training where he was like, hey, I want the I want the team to trust us when we get third time through the order. And obviously last year Sonny Gray was was not very good third time through the order, but he's looked really solid uh going kind of a little deeper into games so far.
1: Yeah, I think we've all been really impressed with Sonny Gray. Those numbers you were saying earlier, of course, include the start he made today, later in the week. Uh, But he's going to be right in the running for Pitcher of the Month. If he doesn't win, Mm -hmm. if there there was voting that was revealed, he would be second, right? It'll be him or Garrett Cole, who has also been similarly stellar to to start the season here. And so I I don't think you can ask for literally anything more than Gray. He was from Gray. He was Mm -hmm. almost perfect you know the 0. 0.77 era that's about as good as it gets yep. and so you know every right now every time he takes the mound he's making himself a few more million dollars in a contract year so it's good for the twins it's good for sonny gray and hopefully it keeps up uh, as we get deeper into the season
0: yeah um i'll add some notes a little later on on his uh pitch mix usage but it's been something that's worked out really well for him this year just kind of seeing what pitches work and he's been he's been dealing Uh, With the bats, they're they're facing uh, Johnny Brito again, who, as you remember, last time they faced him, they batted around and uh, put up a pretty big spot on him. They didn't get rid of him in the first inning this time around, but uh, Brito did leave by the third inning, so uh, the the Twins seem to have his number. Um, Polanco had a good night. Again, the comeback tour is alive and well, two for five with three RBI. He had a two-run single in the first uh, with the bases loaded. That gave the Twins the lead for good, essentially. And then Kepler did a pretty good job as a leadoff man, getting on bases, three for five, and he also got three runs out of it. So um, it's, been, it's been a solid showing for Kepler. He's still nowhere near the batter. I think everyone wishes he was, but um, he's at least still putting up decent stat lines here and there.
1: Yeah, I mean, we kind of talked before the season about how we weren't sure the shift restrictions were going to impact Kepler at all. Mm -hmm. I think it has helped him a little bit. He's seen a few more of those ground balls get through the right side. And if nothing else, I think it really has impacted his confidence. I think he looks a lot more confident out there at the Mm -hmm. plate. He looks like he has a good plan. And since coming back from the injured list, he's been one of the most consistent hitters in the Twins lineup, surprisingly.
0: Yeah, It's, it's good to see from a guy who I think a lot of people were writing off You know, last season or even in spring training, Um, at least he's he's proving that he still deserves to stay in this lineup. Uh, One guy who I don't know deserves to stay in the rotation in terms of the bullpen is Giovanni Moran. Uh, There's just been way too many scares this year and the same one in this game. It was a 6-1 victory, but it could have been a lot worse because Giovanni Moran loaded the bases with two walks. Uh, And he escaped only giving up one run Um, and it it could have been a lot worse. I was listening to this game on the radio and it was just, man, every time Moran comes up to pitch and it's like a big lead, I'm just like, uh, what's going to happen here? Yeah.
1: He, he's hard to trust with those walks, especially. And that's always kind of been his issue. Even last year, he Mm -hmm. had pretty good walk numbers at the major league level, which is why he was successful. But in AAA, he was walking guys left and right. So it was mostly just chance. It seemed like that he wasn't walking guys, but Mm -hmm. He, he doesn't have a great fastball. His go-to pitch is his changeup. And so I think it limits his effectiveness against lefties since he doesn't have that slider-type breaking ball that can really be effective. Right. And then that combined with the walks, it, it's probably not sustainable. But as we've talked about with other bullpen issues in the past, Twins don't really have any other options at the moment.
0: So it yeah. is kind of what it is. Yeah, it's tough because, like you mentioned, he, is the, he and Thielbar are the only lefties in the pen and our options you know in AAA uh besides Brent Hedrick i think everyone else is essentially a righty so we don't have a lot of lefty prospect relievers either who could you know slide into Moran's spot
1: Yeah, and Hedrick, you know, he's more of the long-relief spot-start type of guy, so he's not Mm going to fill that role. Um, You know, I I wouldn't be surprised if a lefty is someone they target at the deadline. Of course, everybody at the deadline wants relievers and wants a lefty, but Mm -hmm. as long as the Twins are competitive, I would imagine that's a place they'll target.
0: Yeah. Well, moving on to Game 2, it was a 6-2 victory. This is where we officially secured the season series and defeated history uh Joe Ryan was the pitcher of the day seven innings seven hits one and run with seven strikeouts a lot of sevens there uh the fastball was in elite uh, there's no other way to describe it that pitch surprises me every single time he he comes out to a start it's incredible that it's still fooling guys um after they've seen it multiple times uh but yeah 10 whips 14 called strikes he basically kind of got rid of the sweeper slider that he's been throwing Uh, The splitter location also wasn't too great. Um, So, I mean, that's the story of Joe Ryan, right? Really elite fastball, but the secondary still need work. But um, he he was getting results. I think one of the reasons why he's doing so well is that elite walk rate. It's 3.3%. It's ninth in the majors among qualified pitchers. Um, It just really helps your defense and your ERA when you don't give free passes to guys on the bases.
1: Definitely. And I think with those secondaries with Joe Ryan, um, I I think the cold weather was a big part of that mm-hmm. when it's cold, it's harder to get a grip, you want to yep. stick with the pitches you're comfortable with. So we mostly stuck to fastball splitter. I think as it warms up a little bit, as we get further into the season, we'll see him go back to that sweeper slider a little bit more, uh, and at least
0: try to work it through a little bit against teams that maybe aren't the Yankees. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, the bats were, you know, pretty decent. Buxton and Larnick both homered. Uh, currently, as of today, April thirtieth, Larnick is number one in RBIs, and Buxton's number two in RBIs on the team. So, both guys who are contributing at a high level, um, especially Larnick. I think it's been it's been good to see that he's, um, yeah, a guy that is solidifying his spot in the lineup. Um, and then Polanco again staying hot, two for four with a double and an RBI. So, um, yeah, good day for the bats.
1: Yeah, not much else to add. It's nice to have Polanco in the game. You mm-hmm. have He's a switch hitter, so it's nice to put him in the middle there between Correa and Buxton, split up the right-handed bats a bit. And he's just a solid, reliable guy who maybe doesn't always come through every single time, but you know he's going to give you a good at-bat every time. Uh, and, and that's always valuable when you have a lot of other guys that maybe tend to strike out at a higher rate.
0: Yeah. Uh, well, unfortunately, just like everything, all, all the good things come to an end. And in Game 3, we got shellacked. It was a 12-6 loss. Uh, part of that was Kenta Maeda, who only was able to last three innings. He gave up 10 earned runs uh, with only two strikeouts. Clearly, he just wasn't looking 100%. Uh, he left the game basically in at the beginning of the fourth. Uh, Twins eventually said it was muscle discomfort and soreness in his right arm. We'll talk about this a little bit later, uh, but definitely some worrying stuff for Maeda. Um, I mean, the good thing was that he didn't necessarily give up any homers. It wasn't like he was giving up meatballs, but it was just... Just hits were getting through. He had poor command. Uh, just clearly was not uh, who we were expecting him to be.
1: Yeah, I think the big tell with him, and we'll talk about with Mally a little, this with Mally a little bit later too, but it's the fastball velocity, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. He was sitting... 88 and sometimes it seemed like he was struggling to get up to 88 Mm -hmm. uh he it was a combination of i think a lot of things going wrong at the same time He had some arm fatigue slash soreness is what the team's calling it he had just gotten hit in the ankle Mm -hmm. in the previous start the yankees laid down some bunts to try to take advantage of that uh and, and get on base and really test him and then when he was trying to field one of the bunts he took a fall maybe Tweet something he just looked really uncomfortable after that especially and so it seemed like it was just all this bad stuff happening all at the exact same time to Maeda and you know hopefully some time off get that shoulder the arm the elbow rested Mm -hmm. so that he's ready to go and he can look a little bit more like the picture we want to see I know on Twitter there were a lot of people being like oh have we seen Kenta Maeda pitches last game for the Twins. I don't think there's any chance of no. that. As long as he's healthy, he'll be back in some capacity. Yeah. Everybody likes him. Everybody respects him. You know, maybe he doesn't get a starting spot back, but there's a role in the bullpen for him with how weak the rest of the bullpen has been no matter what. So that Maeda will be back and hopefully he's effective.
0: Yeah. And it's not that foreign for him to be in the bullpen. I mean, the Dodgers did that um, a lot during their playoff runs. They would send Kenta to to the, to the bullpen. I mean, and he didn't love that. I mean, that's why he kind of wanted to come over to the twins was because the twins were like, Hey, we'll give you a starting spot. If, if the Dodgers trade you here. Um, Well,
1: and financially, a lot of his contract is tied to, innings pitched yep. starts made everything like that and mm-hmm. so financially he wants to be there he has a very unique contract in that sense where i think he has a base like three million salaries something like that but it can get up pretty high when he's hitting these benchmarks and so for that reason if none other he wants to be in the starting rotation it'll be up to the twins then to figure out where he's best suited regardless of that mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Uh, well, after giving up 10 runs, uh, you know, you're just you're just throwing the kitchen sink. It's it's not exactly uh, it's not exactly like Johan Duran and, and Jorge Lopez finish out the game. So we sent out Brett Hedrick, um, Emilio Pagan, um, really decent stuff out of Hedrick's actually for his third appearance of the season. Um, obviously, you don't love using the long relief guy, but he gave us five solid innings. I think he had a couple strikeouts there. Uh, gave up two runs, but basically saved the bullpen some rest ahead of a four game series against the Royals, which was good. Um, and Pagan did nothing of note, which is always a good thing.
1: <laughs> it's good when we don't have to talk about Emilio Pagan because either that means he didn't pitch or he didn't blow up. Exactly. So, always yeah. good. Yeah. And H- Hedrick had eight strikeouts in those five innings. So, yeah. you know, re- really good numbers there. I don't think that's necessarily the type of pitcher he is, but good to see he has that in
0: the tank occasionally. Yeah. Uh, with the bats, obviously, it's kind of hard when uh, <laughs> you, have to, you have to beat 12 runs. It's, that's not really an offensive output that you're always expecting. Uh, but, you know, some good highlights. Miranda had actually had a good game. He's been struggling a lot, as we mentioned last week. Went two for three with a homer, three RBI. Gallo had another homer. He's he's currently time for the team lead with seven homers. Um, and we did put up six runs against Omega Herman, who, of course, uh, last start might have been cheating, probably was cheating. Um And in any other circumstance, you know, if if Maeda doesn't give up 10 runs, Twins probably come away with a win here.
1: Yeah. The offense was solid. I I think a lot of it, there's not necessarily garbage time in baseball because you can always come back. You can always, you know, there's no time despite the implement of the pitch clock. But, um, you know, it was a little bit garbage time at bats. And so it's nice to see someone like Miranda get some hits, maybe get some confidence back up. But Mm -hmm. I don't think there's anything really to seriously take away from the, uh, the offense here.
0: Yeah. Not too much, but, um, yeah, it was, uh, at least, you know, you, even though we, we lost, I think you, you got some positives out of it, which is always a good thing. Uh, well, we'll take a quick break and then when we come back, we'll cover the second series of the week, uh, against the Royals.
1: I'm Alex Rodriguez and I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg. This is the deal. Each week you're hear is in conversation with business icons
0: And we're back, uh, and we're going to be talking about the Royals series, uh, four-game series uh, against the Kansas City Royals to finish out this homestand. Uh, game one was a 7-1 victory. Uh, Tyler Molly pitched four innings with two hits, one run and six strikeouts. He was actually pretty effective, uh, but the fastball velocity was nowhere near where it had been all season. Um, actually, surprisingly, he started out with a pretty slow fastball. It picked up in the middle and then dropped again. Um His first three starts, he was averaging 93, 94 miles an hour, but this start, it was around 91. Twins took him out for precautionary reasons. Turns out he actually had something, which we'll talk about later. Um, But yeah, at least it was impressive. He only gave up two hits and one run in this game.
1: Definitely. I, I think that speaks to a little bit of Mally of how good of a pitcher he can be. He clearly wasn't there. He was hurt. We'll talk about that a little bit more later. And he still looked really good through four innings. Mm -hmm. And so obviously it's disappointing to see him get hurt, but it's good to see that he can be effective. But yeah, with the fastball, you just saw it throughout the game. First inning, he was where he typically is. Nice to see. Gets up a little bit in the second like he tends to do as he gets warm. And then after that, it's just down, 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 down. And then he's taken out between the fourth and the fifth. And, uh, you know, never what you want to see velocity dropping pitcher not able to come back out uh so it's concerning we'll talk a little bit more about the diagnosis and what it may mean uh but for now let's let's talk about the rest of the game
0: yeah uh brock stewart came in uh, his twins debut uh he actually i was looking up his stats because i was trying to figure out you know where, where does brock stewart come from uh he's bounced around the league and a couple different organizations but the last time he was in the majors was 2019 so it's been a long road back for stewart but good to see that uh, he came back with a, a pretty solid outing here. Uh, two innings, three strikeouts, like I mentioned. Uh, his fastball was the kind of the big thing that uh, a lot of people were noticing because back in back the last time he was in the majors, it was averaging around 92 miles an hour, but it was up to 96 in this outing, so definitely just more effective, uh, more helpful for him. Uh, I think it kind of showed that he could be a bullpen piece for this year, um, especially if guys like Moran and Pagan continue to struggle. And a fun fact about Brock Stewart is that his nickname is Beef Stew. Beef Stew—that
1: it's a fantastic nickname—and hopefully a fantastic pitcher because yeah, exactly. the this stuff looked really good. Uh, yeah. I know in, in the minors he was getting rave reviews mm-hmm. um, with how good he was looking. I think he had 17 strikeouts and in 10 innings, which is really good to see. Obviously, it's against a little bit of lesser competition, but you know what else can you ask for from a guy who has been working back from injury, hadn't really pitched in two years prior to this season, and so. Well, Uh, It's good to see, and hopefully he can stick around long-term for the Twins.
0: Yeah, and then for the bats, uh, so I was actually at this game, so it was kind of fun to see a couple of the things that happened that we're going to talk about. But when you're facing uh, Granky, it's it's always weird because he you know throws these dumb pitches that are like a, you know a 65 mile an hour curveball or just you know like a an 88 mile an hour fastball that doesn't look like it should be fooling anyone. Uh, but the Twins did finally get to him today. Uh, Buxton and Korea had back to back homers in the fourth. That was super fun. Um, I was over. Kind of in uh, in left field down by the the first deck, and uh, when that homer when that homer <laughs> from Buxton, you're just like, oh, that's that's gone. That's uh, that's a lot of fun. Um, Granky basically hung a curveball for that Buxton homer, and I was talking with like the seat attendant at the time. we were like, yeah, it'd be nice for Buxton to hit a homer here with two guys on, and he immediately does it, and we're just like, you know what? That's uh, we're we're clearly clairvoyant, and um, I think we should go bet on something here. <laughs> yeah, I, I think
1: it's always nice to see Grinky pitch. He had he's such an interesting pitcher because, like you were saying, he just has this crazy pitch mix, and he'll just yeah. do weird stuff because he feels like it. Frankly, yep. right? Like you mentioned, he'll throw an eighty-eight mile an hour fastball and follow up with an eighty-eight mile an hour changeup. Yeah. Like the changeup will look faster than the fastball sometimes, and yeah he's a walking hall of Famer, so it's always great to see him pitch and it's you know so interesting to see how he's reinvented himself throughout his career to still remain effective he's not a Cy Young contender anymore but he also I think can contribute to any major league rotation still
0: yeah actually like in the like watching from the outfield seats like you could still see the movement on some of those curveballs because those things are just big loopers and um yeah it's it's impressive to see him still do it at his age yeah Um, it's especially
1: impressive when we still win
0: yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Uh, The Correa homer was actually kind of more interesting because the Bucks and homer was like on a curveball that was like hung middle middle. So he crushed that one. The one that that Granke threw to Correa actually was like low in the zone, kind of like the edge of the bottom of the zone. And, and Correa managed to get that out of here. And it, it was it was like a pretty solid at bat for him. After seeing him struggle a lot, um, besides you know those two games of the Yankee series, uh, just good to see him you know finally get a homer um, uh, and uh, and perform in the way that you know when you sign a guy for two hundred million dollars, you hope he performs.
1: Yeah, I think this week from Correa, we started to see him take a little bit of a better approach, take a few better at bats. I think Mm -hmm. the results aren't quite there yet, but against a guy like Grinky, I think that's where Correa is perfectly set up for success right now. Where he's really struggled so far is high-heat fastballs inside, they've gotten him to pop up a lot with those, mm-hmm. strike out a lot with those. And so someone like Ricky where you don't have to worry about it, I think that just allows Correa to give himself a little bit of a better approach, not having to worry about getting a fastball blown right by him.
0: Yeah. Uh, in game two, it was an 8-6 to six win. Uh, Pablo Lopez, six innings, eight hits, six earned runs, and seven strikeouts. This game was a little weird. It was supposed to be a 3-10 start. Then there was rain, so it got delayed to five. Um, we're not necessarily giving Pablo an excuse for why he performed poorly, but just keep that in mind. Uh, And it wasn't like completely dry by the time that they started the game. It was still raining a little bit. Um, And honestly, if he doesn't pitch in the seventh, it's like a much better line. Um, It's, you know, six innings. I think it's like seven hits, four and runs, seven strikeouts, which is not, you know, elite pitcher status, but it's, you know, it's, it's something that you'll take uh, from your starter um the stuff really wasn't there he wasn't getting a lot a lot of whiffs the velocity was also down on a lot of pitches again maybe that's that's due to a little bit of the rain not being able to get a grip on the ball as well just a weird start start where stuff was getting through too like just hits through the infield things like that but he still also managed seven strikeouts so it wasn't like he was falling apart
1: yeah pablo you know we we don't like to make excuses like you said but i think um you know to see the reaction to it turn to The Twins community, which tends to overreact to everything, and nobody was really overreacting to this, right? It's like, oh, you know, tough weather, tough game, cold, rain, Mm -hmm. Um, Pablo will be fine. Uh, I do think the uh, beat reporters mentioned that he is dealing with a little bit of a blister as well, Mm -hmm. which is contributing to a few of his uh, weaker starts the last couple times out, but it didn't seem like anything they were concerned about long term. Okay,
0: well, that's good. Uh, the good thing for Pablo, though, was that the offense came in handy here. Polanco hit his second homer of the year. Currently, he is batting 333, slugging 590 with nine RBI through nine games. So that's as of today, April thirtieth. Um, he's probably striking out more than we like. He's a twenty percent strikeout rate, which is a little bit higher than what his career average is. Um, but like we said, it's, it's it's good that he's back. You know, we didn't know where he was going to be uh, when he came back because you know this we didn't even know he was really injured and then instant yeah. training was like oh uh jorge polanco might not be ready for the start of the season and uh the fact that he's you know be able to come back and, and contribute at a high level is, is is great and then just highlighting michael a taylor i think him and christian vasquez have been really really great additions to this team batting eighth and ninth i think they're batting far above what their spot in the lineup in the case they should be at. Um, And it really heads up play. I mean, this game, he was executing a safety squeeze and, and got uh, Gallo to score from third, I believe. Uh, But then there was no one at first because both the first and third baseman rushed the bunt. And then he was like, wait, no one's at second. And then he ran to second and basically got a bunt double. So um yeah, it's it's just uh you know these role players you know Vasquez and Taylor are all contributing in, in really important ways, um and it's good to see that um it's not just the top of the lineup that uh, can produce offense on this team.
1: Definitely the uh, the old little league double worked out well. Yeah. And for, for Michael A. Taylor, like we were saying, this is exactly what you want to see, right? He's not going to have two run home run two home run games like he did against the Yankees. Mm-hmm. I think that's a pretty extreme outlier. But do the little stuff. He's making every play on defense outside of one that we'll talk about later. And uh, he's making smart base running decisions. The Twins have, I think, three steals on the year, and he has two of them. And so he's doing all the little stuff that you want him to do to keep him in the lineup, uh, even though Buxton can't play out there every day.
0: Right. Uh, And then a reliever is just... You know, people are kind of wondering, I was wondering this, too, because Duran actually came in uh, at the end of game one when it was a 7-1 lead. It's like, why are we putting out the closer a 7-1 lead? Well, probably because he didn't, we didn't want to put Giovanni Moran on there, but you know, we're, we're not really saying that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, Duran was actually unavailable because he had to go to Florida. He had to go back to Fort Myers to deal with the immigration issue. So he wasn't available for this game. Uh, Lopez came in to close. Uh, it was, you know, it was still an eight-six game, so it was still an important, you know, uh, relief appearance. Uh, two quick outs, but then he loaded the bases, which is kind of weird. Um, and then, but thankfully, struck out Nick Prado to finish the game. Um, honestly, my takeaway is that it's good to see him stay calm despite the struggles because we saw him, you know, kind of fall apart at the end of last season, and he's been really, really solid this season. This was probably his first taste of adversity, um, and it was good to see him pull through.
1: Yeah, and I think if you're going to have your first taste of adversity, it's good to have it against the Royals, who are just abysmal on offense. Yeah, And so it uh, makes it a little easier to come out of it. But like you said, um, it's good to see him face some of the struggles he did last year, but then come out on the good end still, especially when the bullpen was shorthanded without Duran. Um, it, it, it was almost like he like flashed back to end of last year for a minute he's like wait wait never mind i'm good and right. then finished it out he's like no I, i'm good now i remembered
0: how to do this so right. it, it was nice to see him come back really quick yeah, and, and part of the thing, too, is like uh, a lot of times the Twins had been initially not hiding him, but you know, not having him face like the top of the order when he was coming in for his relief yeah. appearances. But this was, you know, end of the game. No one else is is going to be pitching besides Jorge Lopez here. Um, and he was able to. Yeah, he did. He did have some issues with with getting walks. But at the end of the day, he was able to to um, yeah cleanly get through the top of the order for the Royals. Uh, Moving on to game three. So this was a 3-2 loss. Uh, Bailey Ober went 5.2 innings, four hits, one and run, two walks, and six strikeouts. Um, Really just a solid outing. I don't know if there's really much to say here from Ober. Um, We mentioned he did have a couple bad outings in AAA, but then followed that up with two really, really good outings. Uh, I think like six shutout innings in in two straight starts, and then came up for a game uh, and then was back here for this game. Uh, honestly, I think if we get basically like six innings from Ober, um, you know, Warner and run, a K per inning, um, you know, a one whip, uh, obviously, I think that would be great. Most people would love that. Um, it, his pitch mix is kind of the same. He still throws his fastball around half the time. Uh, and I think for him to really develop into like, a, you know, maybe a number three starter, uh, his secondaries need to be a little bit more consistent. The slider was decent as a whip pitch, but. He didn't really throw it um, as much as probably the twins want him to, because, you know, we all know the twins and their affinity for sliders. Um, Yeah. We'll see how good Ober kind of turns out this, this might be his opportunity to solidify a spot in the rotation.
1: Yeah. We'll, we'll take that from Ober every time. I think in the early innings, he was having a little bit more struggle with his command, which is a little atypical for him where he's usually pretty pinpoint with his command, but it was like to see him dial in a little bit more as he went. And yeah, he'll he'll be in the rotation at least for the next month at a minimum, mm-hmm. unless unless he completely implodes, he's going to be a regular. He was the Twins' best pitcher in spring training, and you know he he's been a little more transparent that he didn't love being sent down to AAA, so maybe that factors into um, you know some of those rough starts, and it's understandable from where he was coming from with how good of a spring he had, with you know he had pretty well established himself as a big league contributing rotation guy. You know maybe he's not. An ace or a two or a three, but he definitely deserved a spot. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's nice to see him come out and right away show that he's still the same pitcher that we want him to be.
0: Right. Uh, of course, the Bats uh, not completely there this game. Uh, they snapped a five game streak of scoring five plus runs. Uh, but, you know, Buxton did hit his six homer, just keeps mashing. Uh, I think the Twins have to be commended for their strategy of only DHing him. This this month, uh, I think it's worked out like we mentioned. Michael A. Taylor's had a pretty solid month. Buxton's had a great month at the plate for the most part. In um, the ninth, though, Correa and Polanco managed to get on base. Uh, Buxton then struck out, and then Larduk had a uh, grounded out to first. So, um, it, you know, they had a chance to win this game. Uh, it is that's that's baseball. Um, I'm I'm not too annoyed with how it finished. We're not gonna. You know, always finished 162 and 0, so it is what it is. Yeah, it is what it is. Uh, I I would do want to say a couple of things about Buxton. First of all,
1: obviously Byron Buxton, amazing. I love Byron Buxton more than I love my wife. But oh, whoa! <laughs> don't tell. <laughs> does her she listen second.
0: to this podcast?
1: <laughs> we're gonna find out. I'll tell you. She okay. tells me she does, but we're gonna find out anyway. Okay. I love Byron Buxton. I love watching Byron Buxton play baseball. I hate seeing him run the bases which leads me to believe (laughs) i don't know if the twins are going to have him play in the outfield anytime soon every time he's running the bases There's a weird slide. Obviously, there's the one with the White Sox where he ran straight into the second baseman for some reason. But every time he has a little bit of a weird slide, I get so nervous that he hurts something. And he just runs them so chaotically. Obviously, he's super fast. And so you want his speed on the bases. But every time he comes to bat, I either want him to hit a home run or strike out and just be done. Because (laughs) it stresses me out so much. Every time he's running full speed, a little bit out of control and then belly flops onto the ground and gets his arm tangled or his leg tangled. Man, it stresses me out so much. And yeah, obviously I think the best version of the twins has Byron Buxton playing in the outfield because as good as Michael A. Taylor is out there, Buxton is better. Plus he has the offense to, to match. And that opens up DH for someone like Alex Kirilov, who we'll talk about a little bit later, but you know, for now, the strategy is working, I say, stick with it. And, you know, obviously we don't know a lot about Buck's mindset about it. I think obviously he would prefer to play in the outfield because that's a big part of his game and he's a competitor. But for now I say, keep doing it as long as we can because it's working pretty well.
0: Yeah, I mean, as he mentioned in our first podcast, uh, one of his goals for the seasons was play 130 games and he's well on his way to meeting that. Um, yeah. If he gets to 130, I think every
1: Twins fan would be absolutely overjoyed, and I think, frankly, at 130, he might be an MVP candidate.
0: Yeah. Uh, it, kind of skipping to today's game, uh, which which we're going to talk about. He he had two slides that like, like they were fine, you know, like no one was at the bag, and like he was beating out a throw to the plate on the second slide, and it was just like, oh man, I, I kind of like similar. It's like, I just hope nothing bad happens when he yeah. does this
1: i so since i don't live in minnesota anymore i watch my twins games through mlb.tv and i don't know who at mlb needs to hear this but i need to tell them that i will pay an extra like 10 bucks a month if i can just get a camera on byron buxton from the moment he's at the at-bat until he's sitting again in the dugout (laughs) because i want to see how he's walking back to the dugout does he go talk to papa resta after his at-bat you know is, is he shaking around stretching a little bit like name your price mlb i i I need that when he's playing because i get so
0: stressed out about it we need the buck camp (laughs) (laughs) definitely uh well going on to game four the final game of this series we got a lot of more buck action which was super fun uh but we're going to start with the pitching because sunny gray is elite uh six innings five hits one and run one walk seven strikeouts um it, honestly, like when I was looking at this line, I was like, we already talked about him in this podcast, and he was amazing. <laughs> and then it's like this star comes out, it's like, wow, okay. Uh he's still really, really good. Um, it's it feels it feels nice to have a pitcher. And we I mean we said this about Pablo Lopez a couple episodes ago, but I think Sonny Gray has really come into is come into his own this this month where it's like it's nice where you send out Sonny Gray and you know nothing bad's gonna happen. Uh the curveball was incredible. Uh, I think it had close to like a fifty percent CSW percent, which is impressive. The cutter was a really good compliment. The slider was getting whiffs as well. Uh, like I mentioned, his pitch mix has been very interesting this year. He's dropped the usage of both his fastball and his four seamer. Um, his his the what he's done as a result is increased the usage on the cutter, which hasn't always been elite. But I think part of it is with he's using fastballs and sinkers less. They have more opportunity to be elite so to speak or more opportunity to surprise pitchers when he throws them um they're still both really good pitches but i think when they have higher volume it's maybe a little less effective um and like we mentioned he has a 0.77 era but he's got 41 strikeouts through 35 innings as well that's why he finishes the month of april at and like we said i I think there's a good chance he wins Ale pitcher of the month uh because he's been uh i think he has the best era among starting pitchers right now he did have the best year, i think going into this start so i can't imagine he lost that yeah. uh, with this start
1: yeah so you you were talking about his pitch mix i think the one thing that's really interesting to see with that compared to last year like you mentioned is his fastball and sinker usage mm-hmm. last year there was basically a direct one-to-one for how successful sunny gray was going to be that well mm-hmm. or that day and it was how well he was controlling that sinker specifically if he was locating that well it was going to be a good game if he wasn't Maybe it wasn't going to be a bad game because Sonny Gray is a good, competent pitcher. But, you know, he's going to go five. He's going to give up three or four runs, and that was kind of going to be it. And so it's nice to see this year there's been games where it's looked like the stuff hasn't quite been there, and he's Mm -hmm. still been really good regardless. Now, maybe today it's just more about playing the Royals, right? That always helps. Uh, But, you know, all you can do is beat the guys in front of you, and that's what he's done every single time he's taken the mound. And, again, we we can't say enough Good things about the rotation in general and especially sunny gray stepping up as the veteran leader he's been a vocal leader and he's been really really good on the mound to back it up
0: yeah he's really set the tone for the rotation uh i, I think there was you know a couple stories earlier at the start of the season where yeah sunny gray definitely is kind of the leader of that rotation and when he's doing well uh, i think it's just natural for you know other um other guys to kind of follow suit um and perform to a high level as well Uh, Moving on to the bats then, uh, again, another impressive output. Uh, They were facing Brady Singer, who a lot of people think is kind of the future ace of the Royals uh, rotation. Uh, But they tagged him for seven runs in the third inning. Uh, This included a three-run homer from Buxton with two outs. Uh, That basically started the offensive output. And um, I hesitate to call this a two-run rally because they weren't rallying from anything. They were just destroying the Royals. (laughs) Uh, But it was – they, they were doing really well with, uh, with the two-out offense. Um, good day for Nick Gordon, too. He started out with a sack bunt in the second that scored Buxton um, and then had an RBI double in the third, which he basically just kind of lined a pitch through the infield. Uh, and uh, just effect, a really effective day from him. Uh, it's been slow for Nick Gordon. You know, he's batting 127. He's slugging 200. Uh, nowhere near the numbers he was having last year.
1: Yeah. Um, with Nick Gordon – The Twins are out of options with him, both literally in that they can't option him to the minors without passing him through waivers. And that, you know, he's a left-handed bat that they need on the roster as, you know, kind of a compliment to Michael A. Taylor to play up there in center Mm -hmm. and use around in a utility role. And I think in the version of the Twins lineup that they want to have, say, come October, um... Michael A. Taylor is not starting. Buxton is in center. Kirilov is in that first base, DH mix. But then I think that makes Nick Gordon even more valuable at that point because that's another left-handed bat with another one sliding into the starting lineup that you may need in pinch hitting situations against certain pitchers. And so obviously we want to see Nick Gordon turn things around and get going. But I think it's also good that the twins have realized at this point that he doesn't have it right now. He's playing one or two games a week and they've really kind of reduced him down to that. Utility role in the meantime while he's trying to find himself. But it's also good to see some life because we know what Nick Gordon can do. We saw it last year in an extended period. He's, you know, I don't think that was a fluke. It wasn't one hot month, it was a really good four months where he was putting good at bats. He was driving the ball hard almost every time he made contact. And so that was really good to see. On the Buxton side, Obviously that two out rally was great. Always good to see two out hits. It really gets the momentum going for the team, but that Homer man. So I was watching this kind of on my phone. I was watching this on my phone kind of as I was doing some stuff around the house, just Mm -hmm. chores, general things that need to be done on the weekend. And so when he hit the Homer, I wasn't looking directly at my phone. I was sweeping the floor and, and, It was so loud. I dropped the broom and audibly went, oh, like I didn't know what it was. I thought like I was having some like weird audio feedback in my headphones. Yeah. And so like, and I looked over and, you know, heard the announcers, saw the crowd, all that stuff. And like that thing was hammered. It was like 116 off the bat, 450 feet. I don't think it was actually 116. It was lower than that, but 450 feet. And man, he, just crushes that, and I, I, I think those bucks and homers are so amazing to see. They've been talking about it a lot on the broadcast about right. how incredible it is that he's become this big power bat. When when he came up, it was like, yeah, you know, if he hits twenty home runs, that's fantastic. Like, no, now it's expected. He's going to get to
0: thirty if he's healthy, at least. Yeah, uh it's it's one of the few times that sitting on the so-called home run porch actually gets you a home run. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it was the third deck, right? Like... Yeah, was, yeah, he hit it to third deck. <laughs> it's so i mean like this is just maybe from a a guy who buys you know twins tickets it's like they call it (laughs) the the home run porch and there's never a home run that ends up there but um right buck showing off a little bit of that strength which is fun and obviously we can't really uh talk about the home run without mentioning the new uh new duds that uh that the twins are now giving to uh guys who hit homers because buck done on the uh the fishing vest the fishing vest
1: land of ten thousand rakes across the back
0: (laughs) yeah Apparently Pablo Lopez got the got the vest and um, you know, got it personalized obviously for the twins. And you know, it's fun. You know, they they gave him like a kid fishing pole and I I, I, I think it's one of those, you know, fun things that that uh, that we get to see from baseball players, it's a fun little you know, personality thing, obviously. Like it, it, the Angels started it with like the shopping cart, which was hilarious. Or I think no, that was the Red Sox. I may have been the Red Sox to start with the shopping cart. Uh, but regardless, it's been cool to see kind of the different celebrations across the league, and it's nice that the Twins now have their own.
1: Yeah, it's fun. I think I've been waiting for them to have something, right? And it's fun that this one too is so like Minnesota centric. It's fishing. Oh, from, you got the yep. fishing pole. You got the vest, right? It's mm-hmm. like I think I have. 10 friends from high school that have that exact vest, just not decked out (laughs) Minnesota twin style. Right. And so it's awesome to see, uh, you know, the guys just having some fun, some good vibes, always nice to see, especially when the offense was struggling. Uh, I I made the joke to uh, some buddies that, they were just waiting for the offense to heat up before they debuted their home run celebration. They didn't want to not be able to use it, and so they, they were just waiting for the exact right moment.
0: Right, yeah. Everyone's going to be running to like their, their nearest Cabela's and asking if they can personalize a vest now or something. <laughs> um, nothing really notable from the relievers other than uh, Josh Winder debuted uh, this season, and it wasn't very pretty. Um, but if anything, I think it shows that the Twins are basically going to convert him to a reliever um I, I think they're they're done with the the Josh Winder starting experiment not that it was necessarily a terrible thing but he did I mean he did win a minor league pitcher of the year uh, a couple years back so he clearly has the stuff uh but if this could be another thing like you know John Duran where they'll realize you know you don't have the endurance to go five six innings but you've got the stuff to be an elite like one inning guy um you know we'll, we'll see how that works because uh, the back of the bullpen, like we mentioned, could use some work, and having another guy like Winder um, could be useful.
1: Yeah, um, I, I think long-term, I'm pretty optimistic about Winder. Mm-hmm. I think Griffin Jacks is obviously a great example of exactly yeah. what they can do. Similar guy where good fastball, a good slider in the bullpen. Let's play them both up a little bit, really focus in on those two pitches and, and see if it'll play for a back-end type of spot. Obviously, this wasn't a great outing for him they had to bring in Duran to finish out the game uh, and get a one out save because of Winder's struggles. Mm-hmm. But I, I do think that he has some juice there and something that, you know, other than s- something that the other guys for those other bullpen spots don't necessarily offer someone like Cole Sands or Brent Hedrick, mm-hmm. they're long relief guys is probably all they're going to be. I yeah. think winder could play it up a little bit. And to be fair, he just finished a rehab assignment with the Saints. He barely pitched at all in spring training. And so he he's rusty, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. He, he's still getting the feel back. They mostly brought him up right at this moment because he was just the next on the list after Hedrick had to be optioned. Right. And so I'm not super worried about it. One thing also to that I think is interesting to note with Winder, uh, Aaron Gleeman of The Athletic on his podcast mentioned that one of the reasons they were converting Winder to the bullpen was just the relief he has a history of shoulder problems and because of those shoulder problems he was saying that he was in a lot of discomfort still on his off days even when he was relatively quote-unquote healthy Mm -hmm. Um, he was still having a rough go and now since moving to the bullpen he feels normal feels like he can go about his everyday life and you know it's been easier
0: on him if nothing else and so I think that's good too yeah it's it's always nice to see that you know the twins want to prioritize pitcher health but also they're performance. And if this helps Winder become, you know, an elite setup, man, I, th- I think I'm I'm, yeah, I'm, all for it.
1: Yeah. His, his peak before, I think as a starting pitcher was probably a five, right? His right. stuff isn't great. It's okay. Mm-hmm. It's not great. Um, but comparing that to someone like Louis Varland, who kind of had a similar low draft pick rising quick through the minors, Varland has better stuff, right? He has a good fastball. He's got the secondary stuff. Winder didn't quite have that. And so like Griffin Jacks, if it all plays up just a tick by moving him to the bullpen, excellent, awesome.
0: Yeah. Let's move on. Well, that wraps up the games for the week. Um, they obviously, you know, they went five and two. I think this is kind of everything that you could have asked for. Uh, you know, the Yankees, funny enough, were are the worst team in the NL in the AL East right now. But uh, it's always nice to see them, uh, yeah, come out with some victories here. Yeah, the worst team in
1: the AL East, but still one of the best teams in the AL Central thing. Yeah. Over here. So uh, one thing I do want to mention just kind of with this week in general is, you know, we talked about the offense coming alive and it was great to see. But I think, you know, to that point is really good to see to what extent they came alive. So uh, according to fangrass with their WRC plus stat, which basically just is an all-encompassing stat for offensive value. 100 is average. If you're above 100, you're above average. Below, you're below average. Um, That's kind of how all those plus stats work. Anyway, so according to WRC Plus, uh, of the players that played for the Twins this week, only four had below average WRC Pluses. That was Ryan Jeffers, uh, who had 10 plate appearances. He was at negative six. Christian Vasquez at 21. Donovan Solano at 70. And Willie Castro at 92. Everybody else was Above average, led by Max Kepler at 224, (laughs) above Byron Buxton and Joey Gallo, who both had uh, homers this week. Uh, Buxton at 216, Gallo at 201, Miranda right behind him at 185, Correa was basically average at 101, right? And then some other guys in the middle there, but. You know, it's really good to see that kind of all at the same time stuff seems to be working out a little bit better. You know, guys look like they're taking better approaches and the numbers back that up. And I think Kepler's a great example of that who started so poorly, was getting a lot of heat from the fans for, oh, he's batting first, he's batting fourth. What are the twins doing with him? And it's starting to pay off. Now, I don't know if this is going to keep up. He also has a 500 BABIP on the week, uh, batting average on ball and play, balls in play, which is sky high. Yeah. Um, so there may be... Yeah, not sustainable. There's probably a bit of luck involved, but still, in a season uh, that's this long, you need some luck. So it, it, it's good to uh, get that going, and hopefully, we see a few more long-term successful points from here.
0: Yeah, I mean, I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, but they were third to last in team OPS, uh, which uh, basically not a good thing. <laughs> you don't ever want to be third to last right. in a hitting category. Uh, but you know, just with This past week, now they're up to 15th in Team OPS. So, um, you know, this was a team that was, I think a lot of people thought, you know, the the offense is going to be what carries it. Um, and like I mentioned last week, the pitching has been carrying it a lot, but it was, you know, this week was a good week to show that, hey, the offense does have some pop in it. You know, some of these guys just maybe take a little longer to to get into the swing of things. Um, literally, Correa getting in the swing of things. Literally, <laughs> uh, Dan Hayes of The Athletic, you know, kind of mentioned this in an article, I think, last week where uh, because of the offseason season, drama that Korea was going through he basically couldn't get in any offseason swings so he was literally catching up to where he would normally be um in an offseason he finally got to that point like last week essentially so um yeah you know these guys are just kind of getting acclimated again minnesota is just a weird place to play baseball in april um and yeah the the team is looking good from an offensive standpoint we are not the third worst team at least yeah
1: it's another example of small sample sizes right one week just completely changes how the team looks and i think that's both literally statistically from that side seeing us jump up that high Mm -hmm. and then just emotionally from a fan's perspective after a five and two week against the yankees and the royals suddenly i mean i just talk about myself i feel a lot better about the twins than i did when we were recording last week Mm -hmm. and it's a good example of you know don't get too high don't get too low it's a really long season a lot of stuff is going to happen uh but you know have confidence that these are professional ball players for the most part they know what they're doing they're going to figure it out and if they don't well we got some good replacements in the minor leagues that we're going to talk about here <laughs> yeah exactly all right so some other news and notes we want to get to before we wrap up um first let's talk about the bad news then we'll get to some of the more good news uh the bad news is the starting pitching injuries uh specifically to kenta maeda and t- tyler Malley. We talked about them a little bit while we were going through the individual games, but let's look a little bit more specifically at what it means for the team now and what the outlook is for each of them long term. So for Maeda, let's start with him since he got injured first. They're calling it elbow soreness, uh, specifically on the medial side, which is the side not associated with Tommy John surgery, which is good. Basically, it's not a flare from this, but... In some way, shape, or form, it's because he didn't pitch for 18 months, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's not completely unexpected that a guy coming back from Tommy Johns has to take some time on the IL, but for the most part, it does look like the twins dodged a bullet here. He's already on the 15-day IL. Uh they haven't really given a timeline for his return. But uh in the meantime, Bailey Ober was called up to replace his start uh his spot in the rotation. Um, and he should fill in well. So that's my Ada. Now let's get to Mali which started out i think a little more optimistic and as of today got a lot more pessimistic mm-hmm. so after the game today uh rocco gave an update on uh the pictures where they're at so tyler malley has a posterior impingement in his elbow and a flexor pronator strain in his which is kind of affects both the shoulder and the elbow thank you google for informing me on what that was because <laughs> i had never really heard either of those things before um, what they said with Malley is they're shutting him down completely for four weeks. So they're not looking at him for four weeks after that, they'll reassess if he's looking good, send him down on a rehab assignment, build him back up. But this isn't a four week IL stay, right? For a pitcher, especially he's going to be shut down for four weeks and then he has to build up and then they have to see how he responds to that buildup. And so, you know, Tyler Malley, you know, this could very easily end up being something that takes him out long-term, which is, not what you want to see at all right and especially with how well he had been pitching to start the season john what are your thoughts on those injuries and where they kind of put the twins right now
0: i mean this was always the fear right at the beginning of the season where it's like we've got a lot of good guys in this rotation but one injury and uh maybe it doesn't look so good two injuries and we might have a problem um and of course these two are the most Injury prone guys out of the ones we mentioned, right? Um, and so it's not—I wouldn't say it's surprising that they're dealing with with issues. I think with Maeda, the only the good thing is that it's not the Tommy John part of his elbow that's being affected. Um, and you know, even though there's no timeline given, the fact that they're not you know completely shutting him down, I think is is maybe some cause for optimism that they think that he can can get back soon. Um, And with Molly, I mean, yeah, the initial diagnosis, right, was just kind of that right posterior elbow sonus, uh, but the new kind of diagnosis with the strain, especially with it kind of affecting the shoulder, is a little worrying. Um, But it also might mean that they know what maybe is is wrong with his shoulder now, um, and they can fix that and and, and get that all squared away. Um, Four weeks is a long time, but in baseball, that's – a six of the season, essentially, if he's out for six weeks, that's, you know, maybe, a, maybe a quarter. Um, the, I think the good thing, which we'll talk about is I think they have the depth to at least fill the number four, and number five spots. Like if this was Sonny gray who got hurt, I mean, I, you know, maybe we'd go all skies falling because that's what twins fans love to do. Uh, but I think because it's Maeda and Molly who you know, Maeda already had some struggles this season. Molly has been decent, but not amazing. Um, I think these are, these are injuries that we can weather a little bit better.
1: Yeah. You know, th- we have Bailey Ober and it's presumed that Louie Varland is going to be called up to fill uh Mally's spot. Yeah. Varland's triple A schedule kind of lines up perfectly with Malley. So, wouldn't really skip a beat. It would be perfect just to call him up and have him fill in that spot. Mm -hmm. Um, And they're very capable major league level starters. After that, you start to get into some more questions. The next men up after that would be Simeon Woods Richardson, who is kind of a fringe top 100 type of guy. Um, We've seen him in one long relief appearance already this year where some positive things, but like we mentioned in that podcast, the fastball has some big causes for for concern. And then after that, it's – Cole Sands, Brent Hedrick, uh, who are better at this point uh, for mop-up duty, mm-hmm. and then you get into some of the minor league veterans at that point, uh, such as Aaron Sanchez, who we saw for a couple starts last year. Yeah, now that's way down the line, right? Right now, Ober and Varland, I think, can fill those spots fine. I think they will basically perform about as well as Maeda and Malley did, especially given their health concerns. But yeah, the the Mally one, especially, is one that I, I feel a little discouraged by. Um, Obviously it's longer. And so there's more concern that way, but um, he was their big trade deadline acquisition last year. He was supposed to be a guy to really come in and help stabilize the rotation. And, you know, three times already since he's been a twin, he's been removed early because of these shoulder issues. Uh, Like you mentioned, maybe this is a good sign that the twins... Maybe know what's going on because last year when it happened, it was kind of like, oh, yeah, we don't really know. It's just kind of sore. Let's give him some rest. Let's Mm -hmm. see what happens. Hopefully, this means they have a good long term fix and he can be back up on the mound soon.
0: Yeah. Um, Yeah. Go ahead. It's, it's, it is. I, I mean, I hesitate to like, you know, grade trades because. You know, everyone loves to do that, that, uh, you know, hindsight sort of thing. Spencer Steer is looking like a legitimate major league third baseman uh, with the Reds. Um, he, I mean, he's not like, you know, a world beater by any means, but he's contributing at the major league level. Uh, Christian Encarnacion, Encarnacion Strong is looking real good in, in their minor league system right been now. one he, of the best hitters in AAA period yeah, so far. Yeah, he could get called up real soon. So, yeah. it, you know, then we gave up a lot to get Tyler Molly. Um and it's just yeah it's unfortunate that he's dealt with these yep. these injuries because he hadn't dealt with them for basically the last couple of years like he'd been completely healthy in cincinnati so yeah it's unfortunate that we're dealing with it now um i think the good thing like you mentioned bailey Ober already had a good outing um recently and, and he's he's a really solid number four number five guy Varlin in his one start this season against the yankees showed that he's got some interesting stuff and um, you know, we've, we've talked about how good his stuff is. Uh, he, he was, he got eight strikeouts against that game against the Yankees. So he clearly can pitch on a major level. Um, he's, he's shown that even last year, too. He had a, you know, pretty solid, uh, couple games with, with, uh, the, with the Twins last year. So, um, it, it, it is a drop off in talent for sure. There's a reason why Mae and Molly were on the team and Farland and Ober weren't. But, um, I think it's as far as like having a number six and number seven guy. These these two are really good options.
1: Yeah, I'll push back on the talent thing a little bit, um, just because I, I think Bailey Ober is better than Maeda right now. Uh, yeah, that's and, I, and I think there's a chance he's better than Mali too. It's just because of MLB roster construction rules and how they work. Right, he was the odd man out because he had options. The other guys don't, mm-hmm. and so with without an injury there was just no way for him to really crack the opening day rotation. True. Um so I I think over is going to be great. Varland is not quite as proven, but he has ranked among the top AAA pitchers and stuff plus. And so that's really great to see especially from a guy Minnesota kid, lower draft pick who's worked his way up and back to back minor league pitcher of the year for the Twins. Right. And so he has um, he has everything you need to be successful. They're both guys who in the mid- vast majority of MLB teams, they would have been in the opening day rotation. Mm-hmm. So that's not necessarily what I'm concerned about. What I'm concerned about is the next injury because there's always the next injury, right? And that's where it starts to get a little more hairy.
0: Yeah. Because Simon Woods, Richardson, you know, fringe top hundred guy. He's got some interesting stuff with him. He's got, you know, that, that 90 mile an hour fastball. It's really more the secondaries with him. Yeah. Cole Sanz and Brent Hedrick, we've seen them. You know, they're good game managers, is probably the best way to describe them. Uh, they're not going to be the reason you necessarily win games, so to speak. Um besides that, I mean, like Aaron Sanchez like just randomly has good outings. I think he had like some randomly good outings last year. Uh beyond that, though, it, it yeah, it gets a little, little rough. Um Belazovic is like basically pitching in relief. Yeah. Uh, and, and he, he's been pretty good in short relief. So yeah. that, that's good too. Yeah, but it's not what you were hoping from yeah, a guy who you know supposed to be like one of your best starting prospects. Yeah. Uh you know, we saw Hedrick go 5 innings with eight strikeouts and like uh, you know, that's not him, but if he can you can turn one of those performances here and there, that's nice. Dab, yeah. Dobnak's still down there. Um Jose De Leon, I mean, he had that really funny yeah. Funny start um in spring training but or in in the the world baseball classic my apologies um
1: here's the one thing I will say while none of those names are necessarily inspiring mm -hmm. outside of maybe Woods Richardson yeah um they're all okay right? yeah, They're not horrible. And I think if you look at some of the successful teams over the past few years, the Dodgers, I think are an excellent example of this. Mm -hmm. They kind of have always for the last five, six years, had a rotating door on the back end of that starting pitching rotation. So whoever just happens to be pitching well, that's the guy who's going to go with. And I think the twins are set up to kind of do the same thing. If Aaron Sanchez gives you a good two weeks, great. He gave that good two weeks, send him down, bring Jose De Leon up. Okay. Randy Dobnak, you're next, right? And those are all guys to, who, as well, yeah, they're not on the roster. They're on the 40-man roster. But since they're these fringe veterans, there's a good chance that you could pass them through waivers, outride them to AAA, and keep them in the organization. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it, the sky isn't falling. It would take four, five more injuries for the sky to really be falling, I think. Um, but, you know, it's obviously not encouraging. But let's move on to some more encouraging news, which is Alex Kirilov. Yeah. Uh, he's completed his rehab assignment. He's been playing back-to-back games. He's looked really, really good while he's been playing. Um, however, with his rehab uh, assignment over, he doesn't really have a roster spot for the Twins right now, so he was optioned to AAA rather than added to the Major League squad. I think there's a lot of overreaction to this move, but the simple fact of the matter is that right now there's not really a spot for him to play on the Major League team. You, know, you look at where he can fill in, left field, right field, uh, first base DH. Those are all taken up by Larnick, Gallo, uh, Kepler, and then Buxton. Right. The really direct way for him to get playing time right now would be if the twins feel comfortable putting Buxton out there in center, then you have the DH. You can rotate through different guys, get Kirilov in there, get Gallo in there, get Kepler in there, get Kirilov out in the field. But they have shown no willingness to do that as of right now they have not shown any signs or hints of when they'll be able to put buxton in the field and so right now there's just nowhere for him to go
0: yeah if you look at the bench it's jeffers who obviously is not going anywhere donovan solano who i think has shown that he's a a decent bat you know a good pinch hitter sort of guy uh nick gordon which we've talked about extensively um, is just not going to sit down because I don't think the Twins want to put him through waivers. Willie Castro is just the one guy where it's like, yeah. maybe. But like we mentioned last week, he has a role to play on this team. He, uh, he can fill in in the infield and the outfield, much like Nick Gordon. Um, he can actually play short, whereas Nick Gordon... Uh, He's he's had like four innings that short this season, and I don't think the Twins really want to put him there. So no, they'll
1: they'll put him there if they have to, but they definitely prefer to put Willie Castro out there. Yeah, he's not not
0: spot starting for Carlos Correa anytime soon. But Willie Castro at at least until Farmer gets back. Yeah, exactly. And Farmer, well, that's that's the other thing, right? Once, Once Farmer gets back, that's probably when you send Willie Castro down. Right, but then it's like, okay, now what? Yeah, and the other
1: thing too is, sure, you can bring Kirilov up and have him sit on your bench, play once or twice a week like Willie Castro is doing yeah. or like Nick Gordon is doing, but that's not what you want for Alex Kirilov. You want him to be getting, be getting regular at-bats, still developing as a hitter because he's still young, he's only 25, he hasn't played all that many games in the at the major league level, mm-hmm. and so having him sit on the bench isn't doing him or the Twins any favors. Right. And so there will be an injury that comes with the lineup. There always is, you know. Two weeks ago, the sky was falling because everybody was on the injured list. Kraya and Buxton both weren't available for a couple games. And now everybody's healthy and there's no spot for him. And right. he'll be the first guy up as soon as that injury happens. But until then, um, you know, I, I think the Twins are really happy and comfortable with what they've shown. To Kirilov's credit, he's done everything he can uh, on his rehab assignment, hitting 316, 447, 658. That's a 1100 OPS. He's had... Uh, a couple different multi homer games and so you know there's there's not much else you you can ask for him i think at triple a in general there's not really much else you're looking to see from him because every time he's been at triple a he has destroyed triple a pitching it's just they need a spot for him to open up in the major leagues and then he'll be up
0: yeah, and I don't think the Twins are going to be the type of team that are going to send down a reliever just to bring up Kirilov, right? That's, no. that, that's the only other thing that could they could potentially do is like send down Moran, but I I don't think they want to do that. Um, yeah. So especially yeah. with how
1: carefully they manage their pitchers, right. And how and how careful they work with their workload, I don't think there's really any chance of that either. But again, it's really good to see Kirilov hitting well. He's clearly responded well to the wrist surgery. I know he's just started playing back-to-back games, which is kind of the final hurdle for him. Mm-hmm. Same thing with Polanco. When we were talking about him before. is That's kind of the last step of play full nine innings, two days in a row. Now, how does your wrist feel after that? Right. Um, and maybe they are still waiting to do that a few more times uh, to get a good idea of where he's at. But I-, I think he's going to be a long-term fixture in the Twins lineup. I'm still as confident as I was in him when he was a top prospect a couple of years ago um you know it's a matter of when not if
0: right and yeah i think that you know just the more reps he can get in st paul and feel healthy and confident about his wrists the better so that when he comes up to the majors um that's not going to be a thing that he's worried about anymore
1: definitely all right. So, real quick, we'll look ahead to next week. Uh, the Twins next week will have a couple divisional foes facing the White Sox for the second time and the Guardians, uh, which will be good to see. The White Sox, as we mentioned before, have been absolutely terrible. Record wise, one of the worst teams in baseball. They're not really showing any effort. Uh, I know there was a big narrative last year that Tony Larusso was the issue uh, with. <laughs> him kind of being an older old school type of manager, man, maybe he was really doing something good because they look even worse this year. Uh, And they've been healthier than they were last year too.
0: I mean, yeah, today was maybe the one bright spot where they scored seven innings or seven runs in the ninth inning. Um, But yeah, that team is really bad and, but you can never count out division games, right? That's the hard part. And we're going to be playing in Chicago, not in Minnesota. You know, they'll have, you know, there's there's always that little extra sense of adrenaline when you play a division foe because, you know, the AL Central is not sending any teams the wild card anytime soon. So yeah. you got to compete for that, that uh, AL Central crown.
1: Definitely. And there's uh, no Nelson Cruz to hit four home runs in three games against the White Sox this time like he uh, tended to do every time we played the White Sox, which was always nice.
0: Yeah, it's uh, OK. We have Byron Buxton now. That's right.
1: I, I will give a quick shout out to uh, 40, 43. Is he 43 year old Nelson Cruz? Um, who uh, last night went five for six with a home run and a stolen base for the Padres. (laughs) So uh, there's a lot of offense happening in that Mexico series against uh, with the Padres and the giants, but Nelly's taken full advantage and uh, good for him. He's looked really good this year, had some good stretches after seeing him, you know, kind of not playing that well with the nationals last year. It's nice to see him playing on a contending team and performing really well. So quick shout out to Nelly. Yeah. Um, And then the Guardians, of course, the Guardians have been off to a little bit of a slow start offensively. Their pitching has looked great, as always, even without uh, Tristan McKenzie, who was going to be one of their top pitchers this year. Uh, But as the Guardians tend to do, they just bring up guys from AAA and they put up a 3-3 ERA and always have a quality start. So it's (laughs) it's always frustrating. The offense is going to be hard to come by. But I think for the first time in a while, the Twins have
0: uh, the arms to compete. Yeah, uh for those who don't know, Tanner Bybee is basically their their number one pitching prospect and he looks every bit the part and it's so frustrating that it's like Yeah, oh yeah, Tris Mackenzie's hurt. Oh no, we have like a hurt like Zach Plesac or Kyle Quantra or whatever, right oh, We'll just bring up this guy who is just has disgusting stuff. Yeah, and just oh, it's so frustrating. But
1: if the if the Guardians can turn nobodies with bad stuff into good starting pitchers, just think of what they can do with a guy like that.
0: You know, <laughs> I know. And then Logan Allen's like not that bad either, and he's uh, he's also we're probably going to see him in that Minnesota series. So um, yeah, yeah, that that pipeline is incredible. <laughs>
1: it's insane. Now, obviously there's a lot of things I wouldn't want as a guardians fan, such as their lack of spending. I'm glad the twins have opened up the checkbooks a little bit, but Mm -hmm. yeah, having that pitching pipeline, that development code that they've seemingly cracked. uh, That's, that's pretty awesome. Uh, I I know they're the division rival. They're hard to play, but I do like playing them just because it's fun to watch their pitchers. They're, they're fun guys to watch pitch. And so it's always good stuff. All right, guys. Well, thank you once again for tuning in. We really appreciate you guys listening. Uh, If you like what you heard, be sure to leave us a rating and review. Uh, If you're looking for our other work, you can check out me over at Twinkytown for all of the information you could want about the Twins. Uh, We're deep into game coverage right now, just making sure we're having some fun on those articles. And then be sure to check out John on PitcherList for all of your fantasy baseball needs. John, any good fantasy tips this week?
0: uh legitimately like pick up tanner byby because i think he's gonna stick in the rotation uh thankfully the twins don't have to face him this time around but he does truly have some elite stuff um and then you know if you're in a deep league and you're in like an nl only league and you want to have some fun nelson cruz is like (laughs) just you know it's fun to have nelly and, and see him do well uh it's it's uh that's one of those fun guys Yeah. Uh,
1: My fantasy tip will be to pick up anybody who plays in Mexico City again, Uh, which I didn't which I didn't realize this. It's 2000 feet higher elevation than Colorado. So, you know, we always talk about Coors Field and (laughs) um, how hitter friendly it is. And they have big dimensions. This Mexico City stadium is Mm -hmm. small and high. And so I don't have the numbers right here in front of me, but there were a lot of home runs.
0: Well, I think there was also rumors that they definitely did not have a humididor there. Um, so, I'll just, do it too. so balls were just flying out, which is like, you know, just the classic MLB marketing tactic of like, right. Hey, come enjoy baseball. We're just going to launch a ton of homers. Yeah. We're going to um, have a 14 to 13 game. Yeah, exactly. Just MLB, man. Sometimes it really can't get it. He, it just gets in the way of itself. But yeah, definitely. That's what it is. Um,
1: uh, if you want to see more, you can be sure to follow us on Twitter as well. Uh, you can follow John at the John cut and myself at ben jones underscore five and again be sure to follow the podcast as well at twins talk pod uh thank you again for listening and we'll be back in your ears next week